Well, turn your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. A, uh, a familiar and a fun passage of Scripture this morning as we are considering missions, the great collaboration. Missions, the great collaboration. Look here if you're in Mark chapter, Mark chapter number 2. Um, follow along with me as we're going to read the story here. This takes place in the first 12 verses of this uh, passage of Scripture here in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And he says, And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. Now, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their father, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. This is the passage of scripture that we're looking at here this morning. And this was literally uh, a matter of, this is where we get the idea of a great collaboration. Missions is a great collaboration. Last week we saw and looked at the idea of missions, the great commission. It's a commission. It's a command. It's what God has given us to, uh, to do and something that we are supposed to be sure that we're participating in. Everybody's been given that command. Nobody's been given an excuse or a, uh, uh, a pink slip to get out of it. We've all been given part of the Great Commission. And so in the Great Commission, secondly, this morning, we want to look at the idea that it takes a great collaboration, that there is a participation and a collaboration that's involved in here. Now, I apologize. Uh, this is the first time that this has ever happened to me where it did not automatically, uh, you know, sync and update. Um, so we're going to teach with half my notes. Hey, then we'll get done early. Amen. <laughs> well, let's see what we've got. Um, I don't know. I wonder here real quick. Nope. That should work. Technology, amen. All right. Well, we have here a picture of missions in action. This is the the job of the church uh, to be participating in missions. And missions is our way as a church that we work together to bring men and women one by one face to face with Jesus Christ. 
And it is a one-by-one mission. It's a mission, and God can, in different times, uh, use uh, groups, but missions, really the Great Commission, uh, you'll see they went house to house, and they witnessed and reached uh, every soul's important, every individual's important. And uh, we should never be too big to uh, reach just the one. Uh, every, every single one is important. And I know at Vacation Bible School, every year as we begin to bring the kids in and we begin to present the gospel and teach them and train them, you know, each night we're working and working with them. And, and you know, you get to about Wednesday and the kids have heard the gospel a couple of times. And then Wednesday night, one of them will trust Jesus Christ. And, and the, 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 there's one. All the effort, all the work, all the time and energy invested in ministering to these kids. Uh, this one soul came to Christ, it was worth it. Because one soul matters. And uh, so what I want you to see, first of all here, is the sinner's condition. The sinner's condition. And uh, we see here this man was sick of a palsy. In verse number 3, he says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Now, Beloved, we know that all men are sick. Where, where, what would be a proof text, if you could tell me, what would be a proof text in your heart and mind of the fact that all men are sick and we are specifically talking about being sick with sin? So you tell me what's, what's a text, what's a verse that we could use to prove that statement? Okay, you either got to say it loud enough for me to hear or raise your hand so we can call on you. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, Romans 3.10. You know, there's none righteous, no, not one. Yep. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Um, So... These are some proof texts, and I'm going to try and uh, get you to participate here a little bit as I'm working towards that in in our notes to get you guys involved a little bit. But uh, I want you to know this morning that this man, like all men, are sick with sin. And many times they're completely unaware of the disease that they have. At least they're unaware of the cost of the disease. I think for the most part, men that are honest with themselves know that they're sinners, They know that this is something that is part of their life, but they're not aware of the cost. They're not aware of how much damage it's doing and ultimately that it's going to take their soul to a place called hell. They're they're, they're unaware of that. And so they're going through life without a care or a concern in the world and and they're they're acting like, you know, uh, eat and drink and be merry and that this life is all they have. And what they need is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that presented to them. But this man here was seeking a provider. He was looking for somebody to help him. I mean, a man sick of the palsy, many, many years, unable to get around. I'm sure there was many times he called for help for this or that or another thing. This man was looking for somebody. Do you know there are many, many people in the world today that are looking for help? Even with this matter of sin, they're looking for some help. They're not sure what to do with the problem. They, they, they know that they're a sinner. They know that they, they can't cover it themselves. They've tried to do better on their own. They've tried to make a difference, and, and yet they still feel empty. 
because there's a God-sized hole in the heart of every man and only God can fill it. You can't fill it with drugs or alcohol or or, uh, sensual lifestyle. You can't fill it with possessions or things that this world has to offer. Oh, you can mask it. You can hide it for a little while. You can pretend it doesn't exist. But ultimately, you know, in, in the calm of the night, in the wee hours of the morning, when men are truly getting honest with themselves, they realize, man, I need something. And there is a world full of people out there that are looking for some help. That are searching for somebody to provide a salvation for them. Beloved, the Bible says, lift up your eyes. Look on the field for they're white unto harvest. They're ready It's right. There's people out there, and I know you go out, and sometimes you say, well, I'm going to be a witness, and you try and tell somebody about Christ, and what happens? They look at you like you're an idiot. They say, what? No, I don't want that. Or then you give them a track, and they're like, oh, that's foolish or whatever. You know, that's just Satan trying to discourage you Uh, because, you know, most people are at least cordial and friendly. Um, And, you know, we had a guy in, in our church in Lawrence, Kansas, that was given a gospel track, and he carried that gospel track with him for two years before he ever came to church. And that was in probably 2004. And he is still in church today. Him and his family uh, serving God. One gospel track. He carried it around for a while. He took it home. He put it on his dresser, sat on his dresser for a year and a half. They moved, packed up their whole house. And when he packed up his house, he packed that gospel track and took it with him. Then when he was unpacking, he looked at that and he was like, why why am I still carrying this around? Maybe there's something here. Maybe I need to do something about this. And he came to church, got saved, followed the Lord, and still following the Lord today. You have no idea how ripe the fields are, we're just told to go. They need somebody to bring them to Christ or to take Christ to them. Let me ask you, how would you uh, say what is a means through which we can bring people to Christ? Or because it's, because this is going to cross over, I have a problem. If I get in front of that speaker, it, it squeaks. Um, So how would you bring people to Christ? Or secondly, how can we take Christ to them? I know your answers are going to cross over those two categories. That's why I want to go ahead and throw them both out. I'm looking for feedback from you. What's some way? Uh, Ms. Kim? You can bring them to Christ by inviting them to church. Bring them to a place where they can hear about Jesus and getting them here. Even just a church activity, an event, something fun, just introducing them to uh, to the Lord, you know, and uh, so get them out to God's house where they can be confronted, brought face to face with Jesus Christ. Another, yes, John. You can bring them in on the bus to church. You can go out to their door, go out to their house, um, leaving a presentation of the gospel on their door with a John and Romans, a gospel track or something like that, leaving something there that they can uh, look at later. Um, or knocking, actually being able to talk to somebody. 
uh, and you know what they would call one-on-one -on -one confrontational soul winning, which is very uncomfortable for most people, but I think necessary for reaching and winning the loss to Jesus Christ, and we should be able to be able and willing to do it. Yes. Sharing your testimony with anybody, sharing what God's done in your heart. That's one of the most powerful tools that you have is your real-life testimony, what God has done in your heart and in your life. And uh, especially in pe when people are in hour of need, when they're going through struggle, and you can come and talk to them at that time and say, hey, this is what God did for me. And uh, can be very powerful to, to bring people to Christ, to point them to your Savior. Any other thoughts, brother? giving them the truth that you've learned. Uh, Brother Rich? Yes, that's good. Give them a, give them a, a nice tip and, and, a, and a gospel track or something like that. Yes. This is very good. Yes, praying, praying for them. Miss Kim? Oh, praying for them, yes, praying, praying for them. Find somebody that uh, God might put on your heart to, to really go after and begin to pray for. So these are methods that we can bring people to Christ or take Christ to them. But I want you to know that Christ is the one with power. He's the one with power. He has no limit on him. It's his power that can bring salvation and forgiveness. We see that in our text, that he was with the power and he could do it. And without him, they have no chance or hope of salvation. You know, people can't heal themselves. People can't get to God. They can't do it themselves. They can't turn over a new leaf. They can't find salvation in any other, for there's none other name given under heaven uh, among men, whereby men must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. And so men must be introduced to him, must know about him. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And so it's not by works that we've done. There's nothing that somebody can do to earn their way to heaven, to get their way to heaven. They need to be confronted or introduced to Jesus Christ and trust what he has done for them. Much of the world has uh, heard about God. They know about heaven but they don't know what to do about getting there. They don't know what to do about being forgiven of their sin because they haven't been introduced, they haven't been shown in the word of God. And we see that he was successfully patched up. Uh, God heals the most important part of man first. He says to him, they bring him him, they bring him, they, they tear up the roof, they lower this man down through the top of the roof. Now, do you suppose that those four men... And this man, who was sick of the palsy, were there so that his sins could be forgiven? Or do you suppose that the motivation for them bringing this man to Jesus was that he would be healed of the palsy? 
I believe it's because they wanted to be healed of the palsy. But you see, Christ knew what this man's greatest need was. We see here that Christ puts a priority on man's greatest need. And as a church and as individuals, we need to remember that. And remember to put a priority on men's greatest need. And be willing to share the truth and point them to Christ, even when it's uncomfortable, because that's their greatest need. They may have a lot of other needs. We all, everybody in here has needs this morning. Varying in, in size and, and in importance and, and right now might be very critical today. Some people, their need is something that's coming down the road or, or whatever. We all have needs. But man's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because this life is but a vapor that appears for a little time then vanisheth away. And eternity lasts forever. And we want to spend an eternity forgiven in heaven with God. So he says, thy son, son, thy sins be forgiven them. He forgives him first of his greatest need. His physical need paled in comparison to his spiritual need. So then God healed this man's infirmities. He said, arise, take up thy bed and go thy way. You know, God was so good to him. Not only did he give him salvation, but afterwards, he healed his palsy. Could you tell me this morning, what's something that God has done for you beyond salvation? You'd say something. To, what's that? I'm still alive. I'm back to what I went through. Still kicking. Amen. Some of the, the miracles of God, when you go through something of, of a, a great, you know, Physical battle, uh, you know, a car wreck, uh, you know, different challenges. You look at it and say, wow, God's been good. Anybody else? What had God done for you? Taking some pain out of out of the shoulder. Bill's in pain all the time because of his shoulder. And uh, he says it's getting, getting a little bit better. Don't don't walk up to Bill and whack him in the shoulder. He doesn't like that. Yeah. Yes, Miss Carol. Amen. It is. It's a miracle. And we praise, we praise God for that. So there's many things that God does for us on a day-to-day basis. And I know we, you know, we want to look sometimes at, at some of these things we're mentioned are, are very, very large in the grand scheme of things. But God's concerned about the little things too. And God does so many little things for us on a day-to-day basis that are, are gifts from him and blessings in our lives. And uh, we need to remember to praise him for those things. We need to get moving on here. Uh, We see, secondly, the saints' cooperation. The saints' cooperation. Now, next Sunday, uh, my Sunday school lesson is going to be on the great collaboration. And that is uh, the the goal that we have as a a church to minister to uh, one another. I'm sorry. That's this Sunday. Next Sunday is on the great commitment 
which we're going to get to in a, in, in a minute here. But this cooperation, this is where we get the idea of the great collaboration. It takes cooperation. We see here in verse number three, he says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Now, you have four men here working together to bring one soul to Jesus Christ, to bring him to Christ. This is done. Uh, one man couldn't do it. But when you use the resources and the energy of four, it gets easy. It, it, you know, many hands make light work. And, and that, uh, every time I say that, I can't help but think about the joke about the, the Chinese people, you know, many hands make light work. And, and how many Chinese people it takes to change the light bulb, you know, uh, many hands make, okay. Uh, so there's four people that I want to show that are involved in this work, the collaboration here. So what four, uh, and we got to move quick. So you guys, uh, let's, let's do it. Uh, what four people do you say would be involved in this great work of missions, the collaboration together of missions? John, what's somebody? No, the missionary. So you have the, the, the missionary that's going to go. We're going to call that the uh, serving Christian. That's the one that's going, the serving Christian, the one that's going to the field and doing the job. Okay, what's another person involved in this? Uh, Ms. Crane. Okay, we're going to call that the supporting church. So there are people that, that give financially to support the serving Christian as he goes. So you have a supporting church, yes. That, okay, now you, that's we're going to call the saint's commitment. Uh, and that's people that are, that are giving individually or praying individually and supporting the saints that are committing to support them. What's the, the, this one is a little bit harder, but the fourth one, what would that be? The Sending Church. Very good. You're catching on to my alliteration there. <laughs> so you have those four people working together. And you, there's other, you know, individuals that might be involved in different capacities or different ways. But these people are working together to get the gospel. This is the cooperation. You have the serving Christian. He is called by God. Romans 1.1 1, 1 says, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. God calls the missionary out of his normal walk of life and... I could spend a bunch of time here because, you know, we, we, I think God's calling a lot more people than, than there are people surrendering to go because it's not easy. And we would much rather stay in our posh lifestyle and, and enjoy the, the, the benefits of American culture instead of surrender to go to a foreign country. What a, what a, I mean, you talk about living by faith and just quitting your job and packing the family up in a car and driving down the road to get ready to go to a foreign country. Uh, you know, there, there's some, some real faith there just saying, okay, God, this is what God wants. He's going to take care of it and we're going to trust him and go. But we need people to do that. And God's calling people. A lot of times people just aren't going. Then uh, the individual that's called of God is empowered by the spirit. Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we know that there are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Then you have the sending church. That is the church that is the authority in that missionary's life, the, the, the guiding. Uh, that church has some responsibility to make sure that missionary is cared for. The sending church is the direct connection, that, that kind of connection with them out there on the foreign field sometimes. And we've heard stories of our missionaries that are out there and, and uh, civil war breaks out. And they've got to get 
into a safe place in the country or get out of the country in order for the sake of their lives or their families' lives. And so those situations uh, take place, and you've got to somehow you've got to make that happen. Well, the sending church is a responsible church. Like, hey, we've got to help you get back. We're gonna, whatever we've got to do, we're going to make it happen. That sending church is really taking a great weight of responsibility in care and concern for that missionary because he's going out of that church. And uh, that sending church prepares the missionary, ordains the missionary, and sends the missionary. Then you have the supporting church. We, each of these flags that are hanging up here, represent a different field where we have a missionary out there serving on our behalf. And we aren't sending them directly out of our church, but we are supporting them to go do the job. And uh, we also help carry the burden. Uh, And we want to recruit and train and prepare missionaries to go. Uh, all members of the church should be involved in the missions program in some capacity. This should be, you should have a heart for it. You should say, I want to be involved in the missions program of the church and, and participate in that by being part of the missions conference and uh, being part of the mission work even right here at home. And then you have the saints' commitment, and that's individual saints who are obeying the Great Commission and fulfilling God's call in their lives to go, to pray, to support, to encourage, to be involved in any way that you can. And I want you to see, lastly, the Savior's compassion, the Savior's compassion. You know, Christ's compassion on this man is evident. We see this man uh, brought to him, and Christ immediately heals him of sin. Christ heals him of uh, his palsy. Christ is a God of great compassion. Amen? Amen. You know, God's compassion always took him to where the people were. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm concerned about them out there somewhere. He had compassion on them, and you'll see him all the time going to where the people were. Even here in this story, he says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised abroad that he was in the house. People came. People were there. He was always out where people were engaged and with them. You know, one of the things that's, a, that's amazing about these, uh, you know, miraculous faith healers. And listen, I believe that God can heal. Amen. God can heal. We've had two testimonies this morning of God that brought great healing in somebody's life. And uh, I pray for healing. And I believe that God can do it. But these, these shysters uh, that are holding these healing services... And, uh, you know, promoting it on television. I mean, if they can really heal people like that, why don't they just go to the hospital? Why don't they just go where there's sick people? Why do they have to build this great big service and have all of this televised uh, things and, and all of that? You know what? If they're really healing people, they wouldn't have to hold any of that. There would be nonstop uh, news about them, about it. I mean, it would be it would be everywhere. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a sham. I was listening to somebody yesterday, and uh, the guy was talking. If I said you his name, many of you probably would recognize his name. Uh, but uh, he said that he was out on, on, a, on a mission work, and he was in a, in a place where nobody knew Jesus Christ. There was no Christians there. They had never even heard of Christ. And they held a service. And he said, everybody I touched that day was healed of God. I mean, blind people were given sight and deaf people were given hear, ears to hear. They could hear for the first time in their life. 
Well, that's easy to say standing on a platform in America when there's no proof, no, no, uh, you know, he's just, and, and of course the whole audience was erupted in laughter, standing ovation because he healed all these people on the field somewhere, buying into this foolishness. Jesus went to where the sick people were. And uh, Jesus didn't try and make a production of it, but he healed the sick. His compassion motivated him to do that. You know, there's an old song, he came to me when I could not come to where he was he came to me that's why he died on calvary when i could not come to where jesus was he came to me he came to me when i was bound in chains of sin he came to me when i possessed no hope within he picked me up and drew me gently to his side where today in his sweet love i now abide When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. That's Christ's compassion. He'll go to you. You know, Christ, for somebody that's searching and looking, God will bring somebody to tell them the truth. God will get the gospel to a person that's looking. We serve a God of great compassion. In Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 33 and 34, he says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him. And ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion towards them. Christ was moved with compassion when he saw the people. Are you moved with compassion about the need of the world to hear the gospel? I mean, does it move you enough to do something about it, to get involved in the missions program of the church? to participate in, in supporting these missionaries, to be giving out tracts or being a witness in your community, uh, to presenting or telling your story to people that will listen about what Christ has done for you. Being involved in that is compassion and concern for others is what will do it. Mission is truly a great collaboration. No one can do it without Christ. This is what missions is all about, is taking Christ to the world. But, you know, we really need some co-laborers. It makes it a lot easier. Our church here could not support this many missionaries if Brad and, and Fred were the only ones doing it. We would have to pick two. <laughs> just say, okay, the rest of them, we can't support them. We're just going to do these two. But because everybody's doing a little bit, We can support somebody in all of these countries and we'll have opportunities here at Missions Conference to even support some more because people get involved and have a heart and a concern for missions when we do it together. You know, a guy could go out in the field and he could just go out there and get after it. You know, in my dad's day, that's what they did. Dad didn't know any better. He moved to a town all by himself with his family No supporting church, no group of people to try and help them, no money coming in, and started knocking doors and just witnessing to people and telling them about the truth. And, and, you know, but that was hard. It was a very hard way to start a church. No help, no support. We've learned some things over the years. Churches start churches. God uses people to minister to people. 
And if we as a church will get behind others and help them, boy, we can multiply the work. It can, it can move forward so much faster because they've got some help. They've got some encouragement. They don't have to work a full-time job and try and start a church. They can have some support to get them off the ground and get them beginning. Here we, ser- we support church planters on a three-year decreasing basis. So we begin at the beginning and give them a certain amount, and then next year it decreases a little bit. Second year decreases a little more. Third year decreases a little more. By the fourth year, they should be self-supporting. And, uh, and we've found that to be pretty consistent. We've done it with a number of churches, and every time God has met the need. That's how we do it here. Now, this is the great collaboration. Everybody participating and getting involved, and hopefully you will get involved in some way.